Podcast. We've begun studying Ecclesiastes, which is one of the most unique and intriguing books in the Bible. King Solomon is reflecting on some of his backsliding years, and he's going to try to convince you to live with an eternal perspective by proving to you how meaningless life is without God at the center. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we're reminded to look to Jesus for our joy and purpose in life. All right, let's ask the Lord for his blessing as we look forward to diving into a brand new Old Testament book for our midweek study. Heavenly Father, now as this book of Ecclesiastes lays open before us, Lord, just such an unusual book and such a puzzling book at times. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. Father, just we know that it's the God-breathed word. And Lord, we look forward to the insights that you have for us. Help us to uh, learn something new this evening and to put it into practice in our lives so that we can be uh, blessed and a blessing to others and that our life would not be meaningless. In Christ's name, amen. Well, you've heard me say meaningless a few times because the book uh, is famous for those two words. There are two words really in the Hebrew. Meaningless of meaninglessness in the Hebrew is life without God. And his key word will be under the sun, which means without an eternal perspective, just life as it is, a secular life without God is miserable of all miseries. And so we're going to do well to avoid that because even as Christians, sometimes we are prone to wander and wander away and look for meaning and satisfaction in things other than what God has for us. And so it's a pretty relevant book. Ecclesiastes, uh, sad to say, is pretty unfamiliar in the Christian world, and there's probably a few reasons. And like I alluded to earlier, it's a little bit puzzling at times. It's largely misunderstood and seldom preached and taught from. I mean, I can understand why a pastor might avoid opening a Sunday morning with meaningless, meaningless, life is meaningless. And and so, yeah, we don't hear much about it uh, in our Christian lives. But you know what? Through the years, I turn there when I think I'm going crazy, when I'm looking at the world and it doesn't make sense. It's upside down, inside out, right is wrong, wrong is right. And then I read, Ecclesiastes, and I go, oh, it's not just me. (laughs) Life is crazy and uh, without God, and there's a reason why. It wasn't always crazy, but something happened that made it that way, and we're going to talk about those kinds of things. So Ecclesiastes is sandwiched in between the wisdom literature. I got a little slide for you. The wisdom books, as they're called, you know the books of the Bible are classified into types of uh, literature. We have Job, 
Psalms, and then Solomon had authored the three of these out of the five is Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Now it is said that um, Solomon, as a young man, wrote Song of Solomon, about a love poem about his beautiful, wonderful, God-given first wife, the only wife he should have ever had. And uh, that song was so inspiring that the Lord encoded pictures of it about God's love for his bride. So that was the first book he wrote. And then in midlife, uh, he, God had granted a desire of his for massive wisdom to lead God's people. God granted that, and uh, he wrote the book of Proverbs. Sad to say that just because you <laughs> have wisdom and you know something to be true, you also have something called free will, and you don't always have to do what you know is right to do, right? And so uh, he wanders. The end of Solomon's life is just sort of tragic and empty and meaningless of meaninglessness. So he was going to journal about his lost and wasted years trying to find life after sort of wandering away from his first love, having fallen away, and then now uh, wanting to spare anybody else from the foolishness, the folly of, of trying to make life work without God. Uh, he says, uh, that's just a fool's errand. And so that's the context of where Ecclesiastes uh, fits. He's the wealthiest, <laughs> wisest, so-called most handsome, most powerful man. And he's on a quest for some answers to life's big questions, uh, you know. And, and when you start to doubt your faith and start to drift from God, you will, even though you had a relationship with God, you'll start scratching your head and wondering, letting doubt get to you and, and sensual lusts. And, and before you know it, uh, you're asking, what's the purpose of life? Why am I here? And he's asking these questions, questions that every human being have to, has to ask themselves. And while the questions in Ecclesiastes are fascinating, his answers are shocking and blunt. The answer will be, looking for purpose in this life, good luck. You're not going to find it. And I'm going to take you down every single road that you might possibly think under the sun without God. That you might find a little bit of joy and satisfaction, purpose and meaning. I'm going to walk you down there because guess what? I've been down every single one of the roads that you think is at the end of that road you're going to go, oh, Finally. But I hate to tell you, pal, it's all a lie. <laughs> and so he says, listen, this is what's so unique and misunderstood and puzzling about the book is this relentless attitude of pessimism. His, his worldview is so gloom and doom that, you know, unless you understand that it's a, tr a gospel track, to show you what it's like without God so that you'll be so miserable and so upset and so empty that you will want to reach out and find God. That's the purpose of convincing you. And we need to be convinced, even Christians. No, 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 it's not in that well. 
you're drinking from the wrong well, you know, and we need to be convinced. And uh, so it's that relentless kind of Eeyore spirit about life uh, that uh, makes it hard to understand at times. Uh, I mean, listen to him get underway. Here he goes. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless of meaninglessness, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything. Just in case you're wondering, maybe I left something out. No, everything is a large word. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? This could be why a lot of people avoid this book. (laughs) Because sometimes you open the Bible because you're hurting and you're tired and you're weary and you just, Lord, just speak to me, you know, give me a a reason to get out of bed in the morning as you open it up. Meaningless, meaningless. King James, vanity of vanities. So here we go. We're off and running. Uh, The meaninglessness of everything without an eternal perspective. Now, see, somebody who's not thinking will read that and say, see, I'm lost already because the Bible's saying life is meaningless. No. Life without God is meaningless. So what you have here is, is a true lie. A true lie. It's really true that life is meaningless. But it's a lie to say life is meaningless with Christ, with God, with faith. (laughs) Everything has meaning when you're connected to the one who created everything and is the source of all life, right? And so uh, here's his thesis statement. He's going to give you a 12-chapter sermon. He's called The Preacher. It's a nickname uh, in the Latin form of the Hebrew word for preacher, is Ecclesiastes, right? And so he's called the preacher. So the preacher has something to say. And what he has to say is, here's his thesis statement of his 12-chapter sermon to you about the meaningless of life apart with God. And here's the thesis statement is staring right at you. Here it is, the title of my sermon. Life is hard, and then you die. (laughs) Welcome to 12 chapters of your life is like a hamster running on the wheel. Lots of running circles, lots of energy exerted, but there's only one sure place you know that you're going to wind up, and that, my friend, is the grave. (coughs) Praise the Lord. And if you're visiting here tonight for the very first time, welcome. (laughs) Apart from God, when there's no Jesus, when you're doing your own thing and you think, I birthed myself, I sustain my life, I give myself breath in my own body, I'm the master of my own destiny, when that's the case, then, my friend, you're you're a hamster. (laughs) And you're going around and around, and one day the wheel's going to stop, and then what? That's what he's saying. So, so therefore, anything you did while you were on the wheel, meaningless. 
because it's only a matter of time before the wheel slows down and stops, and you got to be removed <laughs> from the wheel. <laughs> oh, wow. Here we go. <laughs> now, to be fair, the preacher is in all gloom and doom. He, he has humor. It's a little sardonic. That word means a mocking, sort of sarcastic, uh, ironic kind of uh, gloom and doom. And it's, I, I find it very um, entertaining. You know, uh, I just picture this guy in this darkened room with this pipe smoking, this philosopher saying, you think you got life all figured out, do you? <laughs> you know, and then he throws you a question. You know, now as Christians, we should be encouraged when we read this. Because this is, this is the story of our lives. This is what got us saved. This is why we came to know Christ, because there was nothing in it for us in this world. And so this is needful to keep affirming us to, to walk with him and to, to not fall for the lie that, oh, I'm going to be happy as soon as I graduate. Oh, I'm going to be happy as soon as I get the promotion. Oh, I'm going to be happy as soon as the divorce is final. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be happy. I just threw that in there to see if you were awake. And three of you were. Oh, I'm going to be happy when this and that. Come on. Then it comes, and then you just move the bar up a little ways. And that's why Ecclesiastes is so important. It's like chemotherapy for all of us. Our sin nature is, those cells are alive and well and trying to sabotage our joy and purpose in life. And so God is mentioned in Ecclesiastes, but he's controlling all things. He's the, and the answer to this meaningless life is to fear him and keep his commandments. But for the purpose of the preacher and this sermon, he keeps God at a distance because that's the point. Life is meaningless when God is at a distance and he only uses God's general uh, name, Elohim, creature, creator, general. He's talking to the whole world. He never uses the covenant name of God, Yahweh, Redeemer, Redeemed people. No, 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 no. Because that would imply meaning. Because you've been redeemed and now all of life takes on uh, newness. Jesus said, if anybody be in Christ, he's new. New creation. The old is gone, the new has Come Now, so after a quick introduction that you see in your text, he begins uh, by setting the mood, and it's not a happy one. Here's what he does. He fast forwards to the end of everybody's life as a human being, and then he asks the rhetorical question. He says, listen, what's a prophet? Here's what he means. You work hard your whole life. You duke it out to make a living put a little money away. You're even smart. You play by the rules. Where does it get you? Where does it get you? In the end, we die. The kids have a yard sale. <laughs> they, divide, they divide up your stuff. They spend the money that you put away. You don't know how they're going to spend it. You have no control over it. Oh, write all you want. 
and manipulate all you want in this life. As soon as you're gone, they're going to do whatever they want with the hard-earned money that you spent your whole life saving up so that you can enjoy, but only to pass it on to them. Says, does that make sense to you? Does this, does this make sense? Am I the only one losing my mind in life? That's what he's saying here. Now, he's saying, uh, you know, yes, you get a shout out at Thanksgiving or somebody sees a picture of you, but after a few tears and a chicken dinner, you know what, <laughs> people? People go on. He's going to say in a hundred years, he's going to say, and I'm jumping ahead. He's going to say, even the baby that's not conceived yet in time will be coming and going and gone and forgotten by everyone. No one will know he or she even came in. That's your lot too. Meaningless, meaningless without. God. And so he's off and running. The word meaningless here, 35 times. He's already used it four times just to get your attention, (laughs) right? Uh, It means vapor or breath lacking in substance, nothingness. It's just, that's what it is. It's just vanity. It just, just has no meaning. So he's not kidding around. When, when he, when, it's called a double superlative, meaningless, meaningless, and he does that a lot. It means, as I've been saying, meaninglessness of meaninglessness. And so it's like saying song of songs, uh, king of kings, right? Uh, there's another one. Uh, Lord of lords, right? It just means the highest of that thing. So he's saying life without God is the highest Vanity, the grandest emptiness of all, is to exist without the one who causes everything to exist. Apart from him, nothing was made that has been made. And yet you, by your free will, can live apart from the sustainer of the universe. That, my friend, is the ultimate definition of wastedness of nothingness because you didn't get included in what is life and what matters most. And so he's going to start out with the ultimate conclusion before he starts his sermon. He says, everything is completely, utterly meaningless, mean 100% pointless, 100% futile, 100% guaranteed. He says, you don't believe me? (laughs) Don't even get me started. Here we go. <laughs> He's going to say, look, I know what you're thinking. Come on, everything's meaningless. So he says, oh, okay, let me explain. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. Verse 7, all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, 
what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. I am so bored. Verse 10. I threw the last part in there. Verse 10, is there anything of which anyone can say, look, this is something new. It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. There's no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. So we've opened with the apparent meaninglessness of everything, And now we've got the monotony of life. Note takers number two, the monotony, the drudgery, the painful, repetitious cycle of a creation gone astray from its creator. So everything is moving, he says, but we don't seem to be going anywhere. So the New Testament kind of gives us some help as to the cause and the genesis of what Solomon has been observing about these repetitive kind of stuck in the mud cycles that even we see not only in our lives, but we see it in nature. And so let me show you what Paul says, because Paul feels Solomon. The apostle Paul feels him. He gets this. Uh, Let me show you what I mean. Romans 8. I consider this present suffering. We suffer, but we're not, uh, as not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. This is the, the second coming. For the creation was subjected to frustration. That is the word that is the equivalent in the Greek for the Hebrew of meaningless. The creation was subjected by God to frustration because of our sin, not by its own choice, but by the will of one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. And this is what he's talking about, those first few verses. The earth and the universe and everything's just kind of stuck in this downward spiral and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So the New Testament, Christ's coming, and we're in Christ and speaking to Christians about the hope, even though we're stuck in this kind of train wreck of creation since the fall, and that God subjected the creation because of man's sin to futility, Now, why did God allow this? So that in our frustration, we would seek him and we would reach out to him and be found of him. And so he's saying, you know, before the the fall, there were no tsunamis, no mudslides, no earth opening up and swallowing people up like that. No catastrophic natural disasters. With the earth just so out of sorts with itself. Can't even grow a garden without monstrosity plants coming up and taking over everything. The whole world is off. And he's trying to point that out. That even creation has this stuck in this meaningless cycle. Thank you. You can go back to our text now. And so he's saying there's lots of movement, but 
we're arriving nowhere. Scientists tell us that the Earth spins and rotates at, what is it, a thousand miles an hour. And that's not all. The orbital speed is 67,000 miles per hour. So you're spinning right now at 1,000 miles per hour. And as we're spinning, the spinning ball is moving at 67,000 miles, right? All right. But it's, it's not really going anywhere. That's the problem, is that it goes in circles. We go in circles around and around. And we're not the only ones doing this. The sun is doing that. The moon and the stars. They're in constellations. You know what they're doing? They're moving. But you know what they're doing? They're going in a circle. You know what that means? They're going nowhere. They're going around and around and around. And God kind of, what do you think we're going to get? A new heaven and a new earth. New heavens means a new solar system. One that works. One that actually goes places. When you're spinning, you're supposed to be, okay. This is what he's saying. You think I'm kidding. I'm not. He's saying the earth is spinning in its place. Round and round it goes. The sun comes up, as it were, and goes down, as it were, and hurries back to its place. By the way, the word in the Hebrew for the sun hurrying back to the other place is to pant with exhaustion. And it means, really, I've got a great quote here. The sun toils across the sky only to reach its destination and have no rest but needing to rush back and do the whole meaningless task all over again. The wind keeps blowing. Where does it blow? It blows in circles. Mountain snow becomes runoff. Runoff becomes streams. Streams become rivers. Rivers go out to the sea. And then what happens? Evaporation from the sea has to bring that very water back up, freeze it up, and the snow comes down, and the whole thing goes again. He says, can't you see? Life is broken. What happened? Something terrible has happened. And we're stuck in the middle of it. He says, uh, listen, you're one hamster on a cage, in that cage on a merry-go-round, <laughs> spinning around, for 70 or 80 years, doing what we've been doing for thousands of years in spinning hamster cages on a planet that's spinning around and around and around and going nowhere in a constellation and galaxy that is one ginormous merry-go-round. It's like being eternally stuck on the small world after all ride in Disneyland. It is. Oh, oh, excuse me. It'll be worse than that when the person dies. Because then not only did you have a meaningless spinning circle life, all your meaningless days, resisting the maker of your life and the maker of the universe, but then you die. And he says, depart from you. I never knew you. Do you not see the connection? I never knew you. We didn't meet. You didn't come to life. 
I don't know you. I'm God. I made everything. I made everybody. But have we met? No. I never knew you. That's meaningless. But I did this. I did that. I did that. But God's saying, can someone help me here? I don't know. Who is that? Wow. And who did that to them? They did it to themselves. They excused themselves from life. And by doing that, by rejecting God and the gospel, oh, my word, they become the meaning of meaningless. As a result, he says, all things are wearisome. (laughs) That word means to be drained, bone dry. He says, elusive change, isn't it? He says, it seems like it's changing, but it's like winter, spring, summer, fall. Oh, there's change. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Morning, evening. Morning, evening. Why even make the bed? You're going to end up there again. (laughs) I look at the bed, I go, in just a few hours, I'm going to be back in there and mess it up. Your whole entire life. There's only one. <laughs> and all the men said, Amen. Yeah. I know. So he says, listen, there's there, and then he goes on, verse eight. Let's move a little bit. There's always more to see, hear, and experience. He's saying, in all this movement, everywhere you go, you know, yeah. The eye is looking, the ears are listening, and the heart is longing for what you can only find in God's love. But the world, (laughs) they're drawn. So the eye goes to the ocean. I've told you this before. When I go out to Bodega, I see all the nice humanistic secularists uh, sitting, uh, drinking their their Starbucks uh, free-range coffee beans. That was funny. (laughs) But they're seeing, because if I get close to this that I know God made, because it's bigger than me, the seeing, but it's not enough. And if I listen to a a symphony, I'm close, you know, and I have my little glass of wine, and I'm I'm trying to, to, to see and to feel and to hear, and I'm getting close, but, but it's not enough. So you have to see more and you have to go to more exotic places. You have to hear a better symphony and you have to do these things and go to a museum filled with masterpieces and go to majestic mountains and travel to exotic places. But he says, you know what? Keep looking and keep listening because it's not under the sun. It's above the sun. Above the sun. Above the sun, moon, and stars is where the heaven is. That's what you're looking for. And that's why your eye can keep seeing and your ear can keep hearing and your heart can keep experiencing and it's empty until Jesus says, I'm the bread that came down into your little train wreck. Eat of me, you'll be satisfied. You'll never hunger again. Drink the water that I give. Anyone who drinks normal water, you're gonna be thirsty. Drink of me. Eat of me, I will bring meaning. I'll bring fulfillment, I'll bring, I'll, I'll, I'll fulfill your greatest 
deepest longings. Why? Because I'm not a Jewish rabbi. Because I am the maker of the universe, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. He said, whoever feeds on me will never be hungry or thirsty. You'll know what meaning is for sure. Well, you know how it goes. He's trying to tell you, weary Sam. He says, aren't you tired of the, the, the repetition? Come on. You fill the bank account up, it goes down. You get the dishes done, the sink fills up. You fill up the tank, you get an oil change. Don't you feel good? Oh, I love when I see it go all the way up to the F. You know, whoa, there it is, you know? And that fresh car wash after that, you, you know, the car is clean, the oil is changed, the gas is full. How long does it last? Not long enough. Laundry dried and folded, put away. 15 minutes in my house. You know, my wife's always asking me, why do you always got to change your clothes? You change your clothes so often. You know, moving on. <laughs> there was no excuse for that, so I didn't know what to say. Uh, you go to work to fix that thing that you do, and you fixed it, right? You deliver that package, you delivered it. You preached the sermon. I preached it, right? Guess what you do tomorrow? You're going to go fix that thing again, right? You got to go deliver another package. You deliver the package, and you got to go preach the sermon again. And then guess what? You get out of there, you're like, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Oh, man, I'm so glad that that's over. Guess what? Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It just keeps coming at you. So we got away. We went on vacation. I'm having fun, by the way. I just threw that in. <laughs> I, I like being back. And uh, we went to uh, Whistler. It's just a two-hour flight over, right over the, the border there to Vancouver right there. So nice. But I've noticed this when I go on vacation. You, you're pulling your suitcases in. The elevator in the lobby, you checked in. The elevator opens up. You're going up to your room. You pull in, and there's always somebody coming out with all their baggage. And they're coming out, and, and there's always an exchange. You know, oh, we're, <laughs> oh, they say, you're just arriving. Lucky you. We're leaving. You know, so they're going to the airport, right? And so you feel so good about yourself. You're like, wow, poor souls. Have to go home. There they go. They're done, right? But oh, we've got seven days. That's going to be forever. And in a heartbeat, you're back in that elevator going down, and it opens up, and everybody's coming in. Oh, mom, dad, you know? And, and they're so happy, and I'm miserable. How does that happen? Now I'm the one who has to get off the elevator and out and go home. Well, you know what? That's how life is. It goes from birth to graduation to wedding to family to jobs to 401ks <laughs> to the hospital to the bed, to the coroner. It's time to get off the elevator. Even though people have come in 
on the day you're getting off the elevator, two new babies right down the hall are crying their first breath. And he says, I don't get it. I just don't get it. I don't know why anybody would get out of bed without purpose or without God. So he's saying, is it just me or is this really annoying and draining? And we would say, Solomon, it's annoying and draining. And so I like what he says in verse 9 and 10 here. Uh, he says, show me something new. Can somebody, I dare you. Just, you know, and, and he's writing, <clears throat> 3,000 years has passed since Solomon said, is there anything new? Now, 3,000 years had passed from creation to when Solomon said, is there anything new? Come on, it's all repackaged. It's all the same history repeating itself, right? Another 3,000 years have passed till our day. So a total of 6,000 years, right? And he's just saying, uh, and, and the words are, are still true. Show me something new. Show me something new. He says, don't you get it? Cain, at the dawn of time, 6,000 years ago, Cain gets jealous over his brother and kills him. What has changed? Just still killing our brothers over the dumbest, stupidest things. Cain says, I know how you want me to approach you. A sacrifice, somebody else's on someone else's behalf. I will approach you, God, with the, with the work of my own effort. <clears throat> I'll come to you the way I want to come to you. And my goodness will be enough for you. The false teaching of, of Cain. That's 6,000 years ago. We've had 6,000 years to kind of get that right. And still today, people are saying, I'm good enough. I'm basically a good person. God's going to have to accept my basket of, of veggies instead of, as it were, as he brought, instead of the blood of the lamb. It's happening today. Balaam, false religion, a, a, a pastor for hire. Give me enough money. I'll say what you want me to say. Turn on the television. This is thousands of years ago. Baal worship, uh, just in the city being vexed by some of the things I saw. It's Baal worship. Baal worship is 3,000, 4,000 years old. Baal worship and Asherah poles, it's all about brothels. It's all about sexual immorality and the worship of that idol of sex. So he's saying, Solomon's saying, the human condition is broken and it, it's been broken for millennium, and nothing changes. <laughs> nothing changes. You still have rulers oppressing people. The rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer. Jezebel's still around. King David's still taking walks on roofs with the secretary. They're still doing the same thing. And this is what he's saying. Just tell, show me something new. Show me that humankind is progressing. And uh, one commentator said, yeah, okay, he's not talking about iPhones and technological advances. But then he said this. He said, technological advances are new, but the people who wield them are not. Human beings of today 
are the same sinful human beings of the past. And thus, there are new, new developments of progress in the human race. In fact, the new advances in our same old hands will only, in the end, be used in destructive ways and so become meaningless. In other words, we discover new metals. What do we do? We make weapons with them. We get new technologies. What do we do? We learn how to spy on each other, embezzle, cheat, and use those devices for all kinds of immoral self-gratification terms. So yeah, it's new. It's a new device. But the hands that hold it are doing the same old stupid things. That's what Ecclesiastes is saying. And then there comes a shout that cuts through all of this madness and says, behold, I am making all things new. That is the banner over paradise. In Revelation, behold, I am making all things new. That's beautiful. A new mind, a new life, a new way, a new heart. You're not going to find that under the sun. Let's finish up. Last paragraph, and then we're done with the chapter. So now he's, he really wants to get in your face because he's going first person here, first voice. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom. All that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. Well, actually, we got ourselves into this pickle. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge the more grief. So let's close out the chapter with this. So we started with the meaninglessness of life, the monotony of existence without God, and now the, the meaning of life, the Solomon's quest to find ultimate truth and the meaning and purpose of his own life and life in general. So here's, here's what he says. He clears his throat. says, hey, can I have your attention? Um, and he says, I've done you all a service. Here's my intent. I've, I, I've set out, I've dedicated my life to search and explore out this problem. How to make life work without God. I mean, how to, how to just do your best, be a good person, and, and have joy and peace and meaning. I, I've tried to do it for you. I have used all my superior resources on your behalf. Right? And he says, to find an answer for you. So please join me as I take you through these chapters. We're going to knock on every door that you could have ever dreamed about, wishing and thinking in your mind, if only. We'll, we'll go down that, that, that door, but only we'll do it wisely with the wisdom God gave me 
as the, and he has to pull out his credentials now because he wants you to believe him. He's saying, by the way, I'm the guy who had that dream and God came to me and said, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. So I asked him for wisdom. And God said, that made me really happy because you didn't ask for riches or the death of your enemies. I'm going to make you the smartest guy on the planet. Nobody will ever be like you. You'll be so smart. He says, I just want you to know that's me. There's nobody as smart as me or there will never be someone as smart as me. But I have to tell you that in all humility so that you believe me when I say that I used that wisdom in trying to find meaning and purpose outside of God and I came up like trying to nail the wind to something. So if, you, if I couldn't do it with all my resources and all my exploitations... <laughs> In all my good looks, he was a handsome man. In all of my resources, this king. And all the treasuries of that part of the world. He says, listen, if I couldn't do it, you don't have a chance. Why will you? He says, what an evil task. What a tremendous burden God has laid on people to try to make sense of something senseless. Life. <laughs> What an evil task. It's an evil task to try to figure out life and try to make it work. And then he quotes a proverb, verse 15. Love this proverb. He says, here are my initial findings. He's already told us, right? But he uses a proverb of the day. It's not a biblical proverb. He just says, hey, you know, I'm in doing this research and trying to, he, the word there means to almost take your binoculars your telescope and a microscope to investigate so thoroughly. He says, this is what I've done. And it reminds me of a proverb we have in these parts. And, and the first part is, what is twisted cannot be straightened. And I love this. He's saying, it's a proverb that means it's so beyond the possibility of restoration. It's in, the thing is impossible. So he says, there's something fundamentally wrong with life. Life is broken. And I love the verb. It's lamed. You know, to be lame. So we don't say something is lamed, you know. But he's saying life has been crippled. And there's no straightening it out. Life is broken. It's twisted. It's bent. It's irreparable. It doesn't give you what it promises. Um, and then he says, and what is lacking cannot be counted. So if something's missing, here's what this means. If something's missing, since it's missing, it can't be counted. In other words, when something's missing, you go, where do you start? So he's saying something's missing in life. Something's missing, and there's no way to find it. Because <clears throat> I looked. Binoculars, telescope, microscope, it's not here. I used wisdom. I even was uh, absurd and foolish and folly under the parameters and guidelines of wisdom to find nothing. <clears throat> it's broken. A missing puzzle piece. So she says, what about life is missing? Um, puzzle piece, a part to the engine. It's a big engine. You know, when it's, it's not turning over or it's, it doesn't want to start, <clears throat> You open up the engine, 
And somebody says, yeah, there's something wrong. <laughs> no kidding. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, there's something wrong. And it's evident to all. Everyone knows. Every single human being knows, oh, something's wrong. That's why men are without excuse. Because we sense the meaningless meaningless. We know something's bent, broken, crooked. Something's not working. We don't even get along with ourselves. We, we have morals, and then we break them. We know what's right and wrong, and then we do the wrong thing. We know what would be helpful to us, and then we do what would be unhelpful to us. So you're going to have to explain that to yourself. Why is that broken? Why don't I just do the things I want to do that are right? There's a reason for that. It's called the gospel. It's called the gospel. So he says, everybody knows there's a missing ingredient. The bread doesn't have the yeast in it, and it's not going to rise. And so 16 to 18, I, I really like it. It's not being cocky or arrogant, like I said. He's just saying, I've got a lot of insight, <laughs> and, and I've tried this, and, and yet I'm coming up blank. So, <clears throat> excuse me, in chapter 2, he's going to continue on with his exploration down the roads of what the world promises us to deliver us with satisfaction. And he's going to say, here are some of the ways I tried to find meaning. And it's quite, chapter two is great. It's detailed, too. It gets a little graphic, too. He just says, listen, I knocked on every door. Didn't work. So the close of chapter one, here's this king, and we're wrapping up. Here's this king who had everything that a man could ever want or a person could ever want. And wealth beyond compare, influence, power, good looks, a harem back in the day, security, honor, esteem. And here's what happened. He lost sight of God. You see, all, a lot of blessings in life have meaning and can be enjoyed and aren't wrong and aren't meaningless with God. But he's the one piece that if you lose sight, Christian, Christian, it is so possible for you to become just like Solomon, not losing your salvation, but losing your first love and therefore losing many days and many nights of meaning. And when you stand before the throne, Christians are evaluated for your works and your faithfulness. <clears throat> and there'll be a lapse for the meaningless choices you've made because you went outside looking down this road and going down this path and forsaking your first love. It's not losing your first love. You didn't lose it. You didn't just like, whoops, it dropped out of your pocket, right? You forsook He's been wooing and calling and saying, take care of this, take care of this, take care of this. Hey, here I am, here I am, here I am. And you let that slip away, you let it grow cold. And in that space, however long you let that space go on, it's meaningless. You won't see a reward for that. There'll be a lapse. There'll be silence. They'll be like, and then there was this day, June to a couple years to May of nothing. 
because you're doing your own thing. It's easy to do. I have done it, and so have you. Where you go with, I don't know, days, weeks, to be out of fellowship with God is miserable and needless. Don't be out of fellowship with him. It's so easy just to come to church and do your church thing. Clock out. We're ready to clock out now. Don't clock out. Keep a running dialogue. Pray before you go to bed tonight. Maybe read chapter 2. Why not just put a little effort into keeping your focus on him? So instead of saying meaningless, meaningless, which we do say as Christians, I've said it. God, don't get this. We can go to bed and wake up and say, meaningful, meaningful, because I walked with the Lord today, and he walked with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and love. Lord, we all fall short. I've even admitted it. I mean, I have seasons, Lord, just where... I get distracted and we rely on our gifts and abilities instead of our natural affection and relationship with you. So help us, Lord, to bow the knee, to open our hearts, and to do the things we did before that you might restore us to more intimate fellowship with you so that we can have more meaningful experience in life. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Shout out to Dylan Bricker, who spoke, a 20-year-old, took both services on Sunday and knocked it out of the park, talking about having humility and considering others better than ourselves. And I went home and I told Barb, that passage, man, those eight verses, it's the key to everything. If we can make Christ our Lord and then live an other-centered life, considering others better than ourselves, having that attitude, humbling ourselves, oh, there would be joy. Life works. There would be blessing. There would be less guilt, less anxiety. It is the answer, my friend. If you're kind of stuck, I'm telling you what, Make Jesus Lord of your life and be an other-centered, humble person considering everybody else more important and looking to their needs. I'm telling you what, you'll get the meaning in life again. Your joy will be restored. Get out of you. Get out of you. (laughs) Me, myself, and I, (laughs) the three worst enemies you have. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we look to you now. We can do none of this apart from your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to keep us in step with him, to cooperate, to be prayerful and open. We need you. We're desperate, God. We can't do a thing without you. Change us. Make us new, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you Sunday, Mark chapter 6. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. 
Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.